0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Tanya Colding stens Director, Strategy and Development at the European Sperm Bank. Tanya opens up to give us the full download on the inner workings of the sperm donor trade, an industry riddled with myths, assumptions, and confusion. From discussing the origins of the European Sperm Bank to the reality of recruiting donors, and even touching on that very difficult subject of discussing a child's origins with them when they were born through a donor. We attempt to unravel it all. Welcome to The Donor Appeal. Have you had a situation where that you can remember where somebody has just responded in a way that was completely kind of either inappropriate or not how you were expecting them to respond when you told them what you did?
1: Well, I obviously get lots of good laughs. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that comes with the with the job as well, and that's perfectly okay. We it's, it's totally okay to have a laugh about it. I do spend some time chatting up foreigners on, on the streets, in parks, uh, just to get a good feel of the cities we're in and how what we do is uh, is perceived. Uh, and <clears throat> even though Copenhagen is very, or Denmark is, is very liberal, uh, we also have uh, a population uh, that is less so, uh, and particularly in in the Muslim population, uh, this is a difficult uh, topic. So I, I, have, um, I have come across a few individuals um, who do not like what we're doing um, when I've been out doing these talks in, uh, in parks. But they are, they're always uh, also curious. Um, so it, it usually ends up with a good chat, but you can just tell that they highly uh, disagree mm-hmm. to, uh, to the whole idea of it. So I never meet people who are un- unfriendly uh, about it. And the vast majority is very, very positive and curious and will have a laugh and will ask lots of questions.
2: And you were headquartered begun in Denmark? Yes. And then you're in four countries. What countries are you
1: in? So Denmark in 2004 by Peter Bauer, our our founder. Um, And then in 18, we established ourselves here in London. And then shortly after that, uh, we were approached by an existing spam bank in Hamburg, uh, owned by a couple who wanted to retire. Uh, So they were looking for for buyers. and germany is a large uh, market for us uh, the largest at the moment um, so we thought that make perfect sense to get some local uh, german donors as well we do know that to many um, recipients it's it's important that it's a local donor as well and then most recently during covid we've been uh, we've been establishing ourselves in uh, in amsterdam and again, it's to facilitate the, the local donors um, for, the, for the local recipients, and it's a it's a great country to to be in as well. It's a good uh, ethnic variety, um, so we're we're very uh, very happy to get going in uh, in Amsterdam as well. I know you've got
2: an amazing reputation. I've been super excited waiting for our podcast and all the chat that has to come in terms of perception wise, I feel that, you know, Denmark is pretty liberal, very common, very well respected. So I think it's great that you've come from there. It's interesting the countries you've then chosen in terms of where you are. Are there ones that are easier? Are there others that you're going to go to?
1: Well, we'll definitely be going somewhere else as well as we as we grow. I, I think um, the UK was Pretty straightforward. Uh, it was our largest market at, at that time, and there is a large demand here. Huge, uh, and it was b- both for us and our largest uh, competitor in Denmark as well. Uh, the UK is, is a big market. Um, the, the fertility industry is very well regulated here as well by the HEVA. Uh, they're doing an amazing job uh, on controlling and regulating uh, everything. Um, so it was a good it was a good place to uh, to get into. Um, it's more difficult to recruit donors here. Obviously, in Denmark, we've been doing sperm donations for for a long, long time. Uh, so the majority of young men will know that this is an option, uh, and they will more or less know how it how it works. Um, and it's not considered um, dodgy in in any way. Um, it's still met with a lot of a, a lot of humor. Can you be paid in Denmark? Yes, you can. You can be paid here as well, or you can be. Compensated or reimbursed, uh, so the HFA allows you uh, to pay a fixed sum uh, for for each donation.
0: And Tanya, when you say young men, is is there an upper age limit a lower age limit as to when you can donate?
1: Yeah, up to forty six, okay. uh, you can uh, you can donate, uh, and you have to be eighteen, of course, mm-hmm. to to yeah. get started. Yeah, so it's it's a uh, it's a lot longer than for for women uh, donating their eggs. So, yeah, for financial reasons.
0: And do donors in the UK get paid more than a donor in Denmark or a donor in Amsterdam? I mean, is it sort of, ha, ha, who works out what you get paid for a donation?
1: That's a good, a good question. And, and actually, we've decided because the UK is a big uh, and important market to us, we're actually following HVAA guidelines in all other countries uh, as well. Um, so so the, the limit here, uh, we will also work uh, by that in the other countries because that allows us, if if we paid a donor too much in Denmark for the HEVA standard, then we wouldn't be allowed to use that donor uh, here. Okay. Um, so we've just chosen to, to go by that level in the, in all countries.
2: Can you move the sperm? The sperm doesn't stay in that country.
1: <laughs> no, you can <laughs> transport sperm. So basically what happens here um, is that we have obviously our donation facilities here. Um, so and a, um, a sperm donation is delivered in a little cup that yeah. the donor will bring into the donor room. Uh, and then... We process it at the local laboratory. So you basically clean the sperm. So you remove all the liquid around the cells uh, and then you add another liquid that makes it easier. You basically wash them and then you add another liquid that makes it easier for them to uh, to survive the freezing. And then you freeze them in liquid nitrogen. So it's minus 196 degrees, uh, which basically stops all biological development. So, and you freeze them in little straws, like basically a straw you would sip from. Uh, It's 0.5 milliliters. In a straw, uh, and then it's sealed in both ends uh, by a little heater. Uh, and then you have that straw and you freeze it, and then you can basically transport it anywhere in uh, nitrogen. What's the most popular sperm?
2: What's the Are most they're...
0: popular Yeah. <laughs> I that. Like, because... Healthy sperm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No,
1: but, it, it, but people choose. Yes. Yeah. If you log on to europeanspermbank.com, our website, you will see that there's, there's a web shop, uh, and you basically, like, take your uh, your requirements so you can uh, insert uh, or you can search on height and um, educational background eye color hair color um, lots of different parameters so you will plot in all of that and then you will have, Your search result and then you can click on each donor to see a full profile and the full profile uh, contains a lot of pages of information about the donor and his family Um, and there will be a handwritten note uh, from the donor uh, to the future children Um, and there will be uh, baby pictures are unfortunately not allowed in the UK but um, for our other locations we'll also have a baby picture um, there will be a 15-minute uh, audio recording uh, and there'll lots of lots of elements to this profile. So it's quite heavy information. But we do that because we find it just highly important that the, the recipient chooses the donor if that's exactly right for her or them. Uh, but also because this information overload, that, that's the wrong word, but it, it is a lot of information. But we know now that that's really good for the child to have. Uh, so we highly recommend that... Uh, you would tell your child it's a donor child, um, and that you have this information for them, uh, so that they can feel at, at ease with uh, with their biological
0: background. Tanya, if somebody wanted to donate and didn't want to give you that degree of information, would you turn them away? I mean, is there a requirement that they must provide a minimum amount of information before you'll accept their donation? Yes,
1: a lot yeah. of information. And that is one of the reasons it's also difficult um, in the UK to get the donors because uh, uh, there seems to be a sort of a lack of knowledge about your family history here. Um, so first of all, it's uh, we, we need to... Uh, motivate uh, these men to apply to become donors. And then, of course, there's quite a serious uh, screening. So it's actually rather few that make it through the screening process. Um, so we ask lots and lots of questions and obviously uh, draw blood and have urine samples. And the first, um, like the, the majority of them are discarded on their sort of on the first sperm sample, uh, because in the Western world, unfortunately, uh, many men do have a low uh, sperm quality. Uh, so they, we take them through quite a few steps. It's a very thorough uh, screening process, including uh, genetic screening and a physical examination by a GP and so on. So we end up with relatively few uh, out of 100 applicants. Uh, It's probably uh, in the last numbers, but like 7 to 10% that actually make it through.
0: Mm. That's quite low.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. And tell us, how do you go about recruiting donors? I'm just, just intrigued. I mean, you know, back when I was at university, you used to kind of get a student union newspaper and there was always a couple of ads in the back. I mean, what sort of strategies? Is it social media now? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, social media is important to us. Um, of course, that's a that's the easiest way of targeting our specific uh, specific group but we do lots of different uh, activities um, we've got our big uh, you can come and see it one day it's a it, it, it's, re- it's a really nice uh, nice piece of work we have a big sperm bike um, so it's basically a three meter long uh, cell uh, on wheels that we can drive around to catch uh, attention uh, what do you call you'd like it? To
2: see. <laughs> To to see. <laughs> does
1: it have a it's, gorgeous. Name? <laughs> it's called the sperm bike. If you Google sperm bike, you'll okay, you'll see okay. pictures okay. of it. Sperm bike, bike. it's a sperm it's bike. bike. Yes. Yes. yes, it's pretty cool, and um, we can actually deliver sperm in it because the uh, the head of of the cell uh, is is empty, so we can actually put Is this a specifically designed? Is it in a phallic yes.
2: shape? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's uh, you yeah. <laughs> are <it's> designed <laughs> for us. Yeah, so it's very uh, very obvious. So we'll give that a spin around, uh, take it into a park and have a chat with people. Um, what we also found very successful is posters in the gym in, on the in the locker room for the uh, for the men um, just having the message uh, out there for them but social media is, is definitely the, uh, the the primary um, channel and what
2: what's people's motivation to donate uh, well, It's very different.
1: Um, So, to the majority, it's uh, it's it's altruistic. Uh, They have known someone who struggled to conceive, um, so it's uh, just wanting to do a good deed, really. So that's uh, that. That is the main thing. And some apply also because they've heard that you can uh, make money on it, but it's not it's not that much money after all. Um, And I. If someone comes in only for the compensation of it, our donors our donor coordinators will be quite hard in the screening because it's just it's so important that these donors are in it for the right reasons. Um so because you will like you might only be a donor for a year or two years or three years, but you will be someone's donor for the rest of your life. So you really need to make sure that these guys are are doing it um, for, for the right reasons because they might be contacted in eighteen years. Uh, they don't have any obligation to respond to that contact, um, but there will be children out there uh, looking for their donor somewhere. So it's just really important that they that they're in it. Um, and and then a, a another perspective on on motivation is uh, is more biological. Um, so. There are many uh, men who have uh, who just like likes the thought of, of spreading their genes. Uh, so that that is another uh, perspective. Uh, and to some, it's uh, to to the majority. I think it's a feeling of what if I don't have children on my own? Then it's nice to know that I live on uh, still. Which is I, I think that's a quite a nice uh, nice feeling. I, I can help someone else at the same time.
2: And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ulrich Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy. they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Aury Clark was born and raised right here in the UK. And now, for 20 years, they've been helping others get set up and on their way. Aury Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat.
0: And Tanya, you touched on the fact that when somebody gets, when a child that's conceived through donation gets to a certain age, they can find out information about their donor. Um, are, there, are, there, are there rules about that or the law about that? Is it global or does it, is it by... Country by country. So if you donate here, then you're subject to UK laws. Versus if you donate in Denmark, you're subject to Danish law.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's um, it's regulated by by country. Um, the EU is currently uh, going through a process to uh, see if they should create sort of a. a uh, a, a EU regulation, yeah. which would make sense in the in, in lots of ways, uh, but that's not the case um, un- until now at least, uh, or so far. Um, so here, uh, when you're 18, you can reach out to either us or the HFEA, who will also have the data, and you can get the identifying information on your donor. So you'll already have all the non-identifying information from our donor profiles, but you can get the identifying information. And I mean, there's there's nothing stopping you from reaching out to that donor, but we Really encourage the children when they reach that age um, to contact us and get that identifying information, and let us facilitate uh, the contact so that we can reach out to the donor and say, "Would you be okay for this uh, child? It's plus eighteen, but would you be okay um, for this person to to contact you?" And should we do it? Should we be there? Should we be present and so on? And we'll offer both the donor and the child uh, implications counseling before uh, such a meeting.
0: I'm just doing a bit of math. So if you started in 2004 and you took a donation in 2004, then the first of those children would just be hitting that age where they can access that information. Have you had any children conceived through your clinics come forward and ask to be introduced, if you like, to their donors? To the donors,
1: yep. Yeah. Um, so for the first many years, donations were anonymous, um, so And it changed at different times in different countries. So these first uh, children born from sperm donation don't have the opportunity to get the identifying information. Um, so that has been changed in most countries now. So here in the UK, you can only use an open donor, so an identity release um, donor. And in Denmark, you can use both. Uh, most countries, you can only use open donors. And then there are countries like Belgium, where you can only use anonymous donors. So it varies, again, from country to country. But it means that because ESB is is Danish, um, we we haven't had our first um, donors from our own portfolio yet. But uh, as I mentioned, we bought an existing German sperm bank uh, and they've been in business uh, for quite a lot longer. So in Germany, we have donor children approaching us uh, to get information on the donor. So we take them through the process. Yeah. Excellent.
2: And have you found since, I, I mean, I know if I canvas or I start asking everybody, come on, let's all donate. Obviously, I can't currently, but, but, but if something biological uh, changed I, 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 I in life. I just missed the upper age limit, <laughs> so I'm out. <laughs> um, but have you found... That, I think most people's belief is that you can donate anonymously. I know in this country since 2005, you have not been able to. So they must know um, information. And ultimately, those children can come. But I appreciate that the donor has no responsibility for them and no requirement to be responsible. Do you, have you found that donations have decreased since it's not anonymous? Do, do more people
1: donate where it's anonymous? So it um, the, this was before our time in the UK, of course. But applica- the, the number of applications dropped uh, when the law was changed, which is of course a shame because there are lots and lots of people in, there in need for this um, for this help. Um, in Denmark, um, because we can do both, uh, so it's a choice of the donor. So we will counsel each guy who comes in uh, on on what it means to be an open donor and what it means to be an anonymous donor, and. I think many of them believe that they will be anonymous donors when they come in, but then after the counselling, they actually feel that it would be the right thing to be an open donor. Um, so in in that sense, uh, it, it's a shame that that they can only be open uh, because I, I think here, unfortunately, we 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 lose some applicants um, because the law is as it is. But with that said, uh, I fully appreciate why it's uh, why it's only open donors.
0: And and looking at the Denmark model, where you can either be open or not open, um, are you finding percentage-wise what percent are going for open, you know, they're happy to be open donors versus those that wish to
1: remain anonymous? I think it's about a fourth of the donor base in Denmark who chooses to be anonymous and the rest will be... So it's
0: quite, it's quite low. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, and it's changed over the years. So I think when I started in 15, I think it was more or less 50-50. And then it's been changing uh, over the years. Yeah.
2: But the, the stats and development on children and things, they say that that children should psychologically know where they're from. And all of us in life want to know, even if we're rejected or not inferring, you know, but people want to know their background, want to know where they yeah. belong.
0: Which makes perfect sense. I, I think what I was thinking about, it must be for, for those kids that were conce- conceived through early donation, they've sort of almost, you know, they've been treated differently. And I'm just wondering how long it will be before the law changes to give everyone who's been conceived through donation, at least an opportunity to try and identify where they come from.
1: There are lots of stories um, with now adults at at 40, um, who have been some of the first donor children and they found find out way too late in life because back then it was only for heterosexual couples. Uh, and why would you tell anybody that it wasn't the man's uh, spermhood father fathered this child? So back then you'd, you'd normally not tell your friends it and you would so not tell the child. Harsh. And so then suddenly you're 40 and you develop breast cancer, you're at the hospital and they tell you that it's genetic. And, and then you have to go home and visit your family and ask, so how did I get a genetic breast cancer? Mm and they will have to tell you. And so that's just an example, of course, but we, but we hear a lot of those stories. Um, so it's, I, I think all the research is in place now that it's a clear recommendation uh, that, that you tell your child, but again, it has to be up to, to the individual um, family. And of course, it's easier if you're a single mother or a same-sex couple, then it's more obvious uh, that, that it's a donor child.
2: When the bank began, so 2004, was it still very much only heterosexual? Like I do feel the evolution has happened I'm I'm grateful for it but I do feel it's I mean it's still evolving in many countries I'd like to feel the UK, we're quite forward-thinking. Come on, Brits. We, we need to be slightly more forward-thinking. But I'm yeah. sitting here with a Dane and an Australian. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to push the, the British. I know as Brits, we don't like talking about these things and it's quite embarrassing and quite awkward. But I'd like to feel that we're pushing the boundaries of beginning to accept, you know, your sexuality, your religious beliefs, what it doesn't interfere with what type of parent you would be. And people's ability. I'm guessing at the start it was only heterosexual, or were you giving at the start to any?
1: To be honest, I'm not sure about the regulations in all the countries in 2004, but it's it's still like that in some countries, like in in um, in Italy, for example. It makes sense; uh, it's a Catholic country. Um, it's it's only heterosexual uh, couples, and in Germany until two or three years ago. It was only heterosexual couples who could get the treatment. In Denmark, I would assume that you could, but I'm not sure, to be honest, uh, in 2004. Now, at least, it's, it's for everyone and the same here. Uh, but it, it varies from country to country. There is definitely a religious aspect um, to it as well.
2: Oh, the joy of religion, <sighs> yes.
1: But it, it is changing. Year by year, we see more and more countries, uh, they become more liberal uh, as, as we go along. So I'm sure... And uh, is your hope that
2: it does all become liberal and...
1: Yes, of course. That's, I mean, and around, what I all mean, countries It seems a bit crazy a, that if you're a
0: couple in Italy, um, you know, whether it's same-sex or heterosexual or even a single woman, that you're denied or two of those three groups are denied the opportunity, yet they could jump on a plane to Denmark Which which they do. Yeah, Yeah. so Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's inevitable that there will be some neutrality.
1: And I think that's part of the... Um, it's, it's probably part of the EU discussions uh, as well uh, whether you can regulate on that I, I'm not sure you can uh, but fertility tourism is a big thing uh, for that exact reason um, so a lot of the treatments that are being done in Denmark for example is uh, for tourists um so people who know that if they like if, if it's a same-sex couple they, they will know that their opportunity to have a, a donor child uh, will be to fly to Denmark, for example. So it's quite a big, uh, it's a big deal with uh, fertility tourism. I,
2: you know, being really frank, Tonya, I, I'm gutted that I'm past my childbearing it. I mean, I've, I've, I've had my children, but I, I love the concept of going in and picking
1: who, who, what, where and when. <laughs> I can see that you're thinking like Tinder going Yes.
2: Yes! I'm desperate. Tinder wasn't around in my day. I keep borrowing all the staff's phones to get involved, but I'm not allowed. Yeah,
1: that's a shame. Yeah, it's... It, we know that our recipients, they spend, some of them spend months choosing. choosing. Yeah, because it's such a big decision. And if you're particularly for the single women, they often invite uh, a friend or the mother uh, oh, to, come to sit decide. with them and discuss because suddenly there are all these options and it can be a bit overwhelming uh, we also have clients oh, yes, that's who just so fascinating
2: i think that's way better than in natural life
0: do you do you ever have people that just go i don't care just give no, me a sperm. no 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 oh, no
1: yes yeah. do you yes Yep. Yeah. we often have uh clients uh calling us saying well i'm having my treatment in in four days could you send me a straw or could you send a straw to the clinic for me? And we'll say, oh, yeah, do you, so what preferences do you have? And she's like, say, yeah. As long as he's around 185, then that's fine. You just, you choose. It's very interesting. Okay, so your mission is you need
2: more donors. Yes. And how do we overcome the British embarrassment? Yes. I think you've got to sell it in schools. So my son at six is getting his first lesson about penises and vaginas. I think that's great. I mean, he's in a very British school that wrote me a letter not saying the words, but telling me that he was going to face some discussion around this. I said, fantastic.
0: Well, what what words did they use?
2: Ooh, they didn't use any words. So I'm, I'm, I'm going in well, you there to find out. just
0: got a said sex education. No, it um,
2: didn't even say sex education. They don't call it sex education. I mean... I like it all to be spelt out, so of course I'm but that's, in it. The-
0: but that's part of the problem, isn't it? We kind of, you know, we hide kids from the reality. We, we, we're we shielding the parents from the reality. And that's kind of, that's what makes it not normal. So,
2: I think definitely uh, you need to push in schools and in
1: universities, unfortunately, because uh, that is absolutely the good strategy. Unfortunately, we're struggling to get into the universities here for the same reason. Um, so, because they, it's
2: all too embarrassing.
1: Yes. So you've got to pick off. You've got to pick off the liberal universities. I'm guessing you also
2: need to target certain study courses. You'll find more liberal people.
1: You'd expect uh, someone studying to become a doctor, for example, would be quite relaxed about these things. No, I can't imagine he
2: would be. Actually. No. No.
1: Yeah. You think they would be in Denmark? They would be. I'm not sure about here.
2: Nah. <laughs> It would be pretty dull. So I think it's very, if you've experienced it, I mean, as you can probably tell, I came from a relative, actually, I don't come from a liberal family, but we're open to talk about anything. Um, I think you've got to have experienced things. I think we have to raise awareness, make it more the norm, go through schools, universities, workplaces, media, the trendy tech companies? Yes. Could it be a perk? Yes. You could get a promotion if you donate. Tanya, I think you gotta, you got to go do some more bar walking and cups of tea. I feel we've got to do, do the
0: tea. tea, to tea. I thought you were just going to stop at cups. <laughs> <laughs> so that was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Tanya for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify and find us on socials at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye.